was again going to get you up in the middle of the night. That really was a trademark of chassidus, your willingness to get up in the middle of the night to listen to the Rebbe speak. But this was a new innovation, the hookup. As soon as the hookup was introduced, the Rebbe started to use it. So he started to make more fabrengans, weekday fabrengans. And one of the clear n- new contributions of the Rebbe in terms of fabrengans was the Rebbe made an official fabrengan, the Erev of each Yomtev. Erev Rosh Hashanah, that means Choftes Elul to Erev Rosh Hashanah, Erev Sukkis, Erev Pesach, that was the, the beginning of the Yural of Nisan fabrengans, that was the Erev Pesach fabrengan, and then Erev Shvuis. Because the Rebbe now had an opportunity to speak to Chassidim all over the world at once, the day mamished within the 24 hours of Yom Tov. These Fabrengans were always marked by a real Maimir. The Rebbe used to say Maimorim often. But as the Rebbe's Nesias went on, the Rebbe began to say Maimorim Ke'en Sikh, which means we wouldn't sing a Nigan before. The Rebbe wouldn't say the Maimir in the regular sing song tone, and the Rebbe wouldn't close his eyes. When the Rebbe said a Maimir, the Rebbe closed his eyes. So uh, people would remain sitting. But there were occasions where the Rebbe said what we call a real maimer, meaning the Rebbe would say the maimer with his eyes closed, we would sing a nigan before, we would all stand up, and the Rebbe would say the nigan with a special sing song that you know. One of the occasions that the Rebbe would say a real maimer every year was at Rosh Hashanah, at Sukkot, at Pesach, that means Yerav Nissen, and at Shuvos, because this was sort of the Rebbe's fabrengen for the whole world. So as soon as the hookup started, more or less right away, at Rosh Hashanah was always a fabrengen. Now, Erev Rosh Hashanah happens to be the birthday of the Tzemach Tzedek. So the Rebbe often would use the opportunity to talk about the Tzemach Tzedek and his Torah and his Avoida and his Rebbeship and so on. I, I love to say this, even though it's not that big a deal. To me, this is a big deal because I grew up with this. It happened from time to time. Time to time means every two years, every three years, every four years, but it happened from time to time. That during the course of this Erev Rosh Hashanah Fabrenge, the Rebbe would just mention a story. If, if you know the Rebbe's Fabrengen styles, not the Rebbe's Sikha, the Rebbe's Fabrengen. When the Rebbe starts a Sikha, he can speak on one topic for 20 minutes, for half an hour, for an hour. But the Rebbe could also, in the course of one Sikha, just jump from topic to topic, or throw things in tangentially. The Rebbe used Fabrengen to say everything he had to say to the world. So in one Fabrengen, he would talk on many topics. Some of those topics would get 10 minutes. Some of those topics would get an hour. Some of those topics would get 30 seconds. But the Rebbe managed, in the course of Fabrengen, to weave into the fabric of his talks all the things he needed to say. That's how the Rebbe used Fabrengens. So one of the things that the Rebbe would occasionally weave into the Fabrengen was a story. Quote, the Tzemach Tzedek flag praven, it says, Yadua, and the Tzemach Tzedek flag praven, paratkes in Petterburg. The Tzemach Tzedek, whose birth is in Rosh Hashanah, used to play musical chairs in Petersburg on Rosh Hashanah. What this means is that the Rabbeim, the Chabad Rabbeim, all did not speak for the first 24 hours of Rosh Hashanah. The first 24 hours of Rosh Hashanah, the Rebbe didn't speak at all. They just learned Tilim, Davening, Taira, and that's it. I think our Rebbe did speak in the first 24 hours of Rosh Hashanah, but I'm not sure about that. But certainly the early Rabbeim did not speak at Rosh Hashanah, the first day of Rosh Hashanah. Tzamech Tzedek also didn't. But sometimes he would break his rule and he would talk. Sitting by his table, at his Yom Tev Shabbos table, the first night of Rosh Hashanah, if the Tzamech Tzedek spoke, what did he discuss? Russian politics. How Hasidish is that? He would sit by his table, Rosh Hashanah by night, when the Rabbeim didn't speak at all, and discuss Russian politics. And he would say, I think this minister has to be fired, and this minister should get an upgrade, this minister should move from this to this. He would talk. Maybe sometimes he would hire and fire the king of Russia also. But whatever the Tzemach Tzedek said by his table, the night of Rosh Hashanah, what happened that year? 
You understand? He, it's a machzedek. He would sit at his table, and he never spoke. And if he spoke, the topic was Russian politics, but whatever he said, I could talk American politics too, but I can't move the pieces on the table, on, on the chessboard. Whatever that Samachtadik would say by his table, the Rashad would happen. Now the Rebbe would simply tell the story. That's all. He wouldn't say who he's moving and how he's moving. He would simply, and if we would look around 770, as the Rebbe told that story, half the room was smiling, because we got used to this. I got used to this. Girls, I'm telling you an experience that I had, not a story that I read. When the Rebbe would tell that story, we would all smile because we knew that somebody very important on the world stage was going to die that year, and you could take it to the bank. Russia went through four prime ministers in six years. The Rebbe told the story three times. It's actually true. The Rebbe told the story once, Berezhnev died. He told the story a second time, Chanyenko died. He told the story a third time, Andropov died. And then Gorbachev came to power, and he didn't tell the story after that. Gorbachev just died two weeks ago. The, the, the former Prime Minister of the Soviet Union, Mikhail Gorbachev, the, the day Gorbachev came to power, the Rebbe called in Branover and told him, tell our people in Russia that now their lives are going to get better. So he called them all up and they say, we think we're going back to another Stalin. Within two or three years, Gorbachev made changes. Within six or seven years, the Soviet Union was over. So when Branover met Gorbachev, he told him the story. And Gorbachev said, it's impossible. I hadn't even decided which direction I was going to go in, and your rabbi already said that it was going to be better for Russians. So <laughs> when you hear Hasidim say the radical statement that the Rebbe runs the world, here is an actual fact. You could take it to the bank. Look at the sikhahs of Ered Rosh Hashanah. Occasionally, not every year, the Rebbe told the story. Each time he told the story, somebody very important on the world stage would die, and he was replaced. And usually he was a saint in Israel, someone who didn't like Jews. So... The first time you hear it, oh wow, it's interesting. But the, and the Rebbe did it so nonchalantly. They just, just mentioned it. The whole thing took 10 seconds. He did it so no big deal. But if you paid attention, you realize what it means. The Rebbe sits in 770 and he says a few words at the Fabrengen and something happens to the world stage which is going to change the world. And it, like I said, we experience this. So uh, I'm sharing this with you because no one else is going to share it with you. And I think you should know it. I think you should know this. This was the Fabrengen of Ebra Shoshana. The Fabrengen went till about midnight. The Rebbe sometimes would say, you know, we got to finish because tomorrow is the Ebra Shoshana. We have to get up early in the morning to say slichas. And then Ebra would chuckle and he would say, ah, my day starts very late. The Rebbe said in the Lushan once, my, is my day starts when it's almost midday, the Rebbe said with a chuckle. But the slichas, the Rebbe came to 770 early. Now, Ebra Shoshana in the morning, 7 o'clock with slichas. After slichas, the Gabi would announce, Shachis is going to be when we're going to be ready. <laughs> Which meant whatever the Rebbe wants. If it's 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, and I, one year the Rebbe came in, I forgot there was Erev Shonah, Erev Kippur, but he came in at 5 minutes to 12, and we had Shachis at 5 minutes to 12. Um, the Rebbe did not daven Shachis with a minion. After the Rebbe Tzinchayim Mushka passed away in 1988, Tovshin Memches, the Rebbe began to daven Shachis every day with the minion at 10 o'clock. Until then, the Rebbe did not daven Shachis with a minion. He davened Mincha with the minion always, davened Maida with the minion always, Yom Tif and Shabbos and Chalamoyah, the Rebbe davened with the minion. But besides for that, the Rebbe davened Shachis B'Yechidus alone. There were exceptions. First of all, three yard sites Vav Tishrei, Yud Shvat, Chofov, the Rebbe davened with the minion, was saying Kaddish for his father, for his mother, for his Rebbe. Vav Tishrei, Yud Shvat, Chofov. 
The two other days that the Rebbe died with the Minyan, during weekdays, was Purim and Tisha B'Av. <laughs> the, whole, the happiest day in the Saturday, the Rebbe died with the Minyan, with thousand film. What that means to say, girls, that if you go back to before 1988, it was easier to find a picture of the Rebbe with a talus than it was to find a picture of the Rebbe with talus and film, because he almost never dabbed with talus and film in public. But then there were two more dates. In addition to the five that I just mentioned, there were two more. Ere Rosh Hashanah, the Rebbe died with the Minyan, and Erev Yom Kippur, the Rebbe died with the I don't know why, but that's the fact. Erev Rosh Hashanah, now, the way I remember it, and I could be wrong, but the way I remember it is, Erev Rosh Hashanah, before Shachris, the Rebbe went to the Mikveh. Erev Rosh Hashanah, before Shachris, the Rebbe went to the Mikveh. Erev Rosh Hashanah, the Rebbe went to the Oyel. So, so usually, Mikveh was right before Oyel, Erev Rosh Hashanah went before Shachris. Then the Rebbe came into Shachris with thousand film. I mean, in the years that I was, in, in, in the earlier years, before the last few years, it was usually 9.30. And there was a regular Shachris, Erev Rosh Hashanah and Erev Yom Kippur, as you know, we don't say Tachnun, we don't say Vinim Malkeinu, and we don't blow Shoifer. But after davening, there is what's called Tataras Nadarim. Every man joins a group of ten and reads a paragraph saying, I'm annulling all vows, and then they tell him, you're forgiven, you're annulled, you're forgiven, and say three times, then he reads another paragraph. It's a ceremony that takes each person about five minutes. Um, if you have ten people in a group, it takes an hour. The Rebbe didn't sit around for an hour. The Rebbe turned around and there'd be a, a group of rabbis sitting. These rabbis were Rabbonim and they were also Chassidim who didn't want to sit in front of the Rebbe. So they would stand till the last second and as the Rebbe would turn around the whole Gizim, they would sit down. Some of them you would see like were half sitting, half standing. And the Rebbe would read the Nusrach of This This tapes that the Rebbe is saying it. It's just like anybody else would read it. He knows that I read Hebrew good. He doesn't have trouble with his grammar. And then they would say, whatever the Lashon is, three times. Then the Rebbe would read the second paragraph, and then they would say again, this, twice back and forth. Now there's something that I need to tell you, because I think this is negated to the girls. I, I was telling the girls the other day that I don't understand why women do not do Ataras Nadarim, and then my wife told me that Rabbi Gukowski was interviewed in the base Mashiach, and he said women shouldn't waste their time on Ataras Nadarim. Now, Ataras Nadarim is an important thing. If you make a net, you have to keep it. And by the way, making a neder simply is doing a good thing three times without saying bli neder, it becomes a shtickle neder. So why don't women do ataras nadarim? I don't know. But for ataras nadarim, there's a second possibility. Because kol nidre is ataras nadarim. Kol nidre is also ataras nadarim. The problem is, this year is Shemitah. This year, 2082, 2022, Tosh Bebe is Shemitah. There is a that when Shemitah comes and Shemitah goes, all debts are erased. Anybody you lent money to, Din does not have to pay you back. Now, the din of Shemitah, of not having to pay back loans, is only Medera Bonon. Medera said only applies in Israel, where all the Jews in the world live together in Israel. But Medera Bonon, it applies here and now. So, if you lent money to a friend, $10 or $10,000, Shemitah comes, Shemitah goes, they don't have to pay you back. It's Allah. They can pay you. You're not allowed to collect it. You're not allowed to harass them. You're not allowed to bother them. So the Chachamim saw that people stopped giving loans. Very simple. So they made a Takana called the Prozbul. And the logic for the Takana, there's two reasons, but the one that's more preeminent is, since the Chachamim were the ones who made the Gezeda, so they also released it by a Prozbul. Prozbul basically means you give your debts, you give your loans to the community. A private person is not allowed to collect debts after Shemitah, a community is. You give your loans to the community, and when they become communal loans, you can collect them. And after you collect them, you take a commission. What's the commission for collecting the communal loan? 100% of the loan. You understand? It's a trick, principle. 
Now, halachically, the perusal has to be done this year. That means Rosh Hashanah is Tuesday, you have to do it on Monday. Because Shemitah's Meshamitah's Lebesav, the last day of the year with the Allah of Hashemitah's Ksav goes into effect. The Alter Rebbe brings an opinion that you have to do it in the beginning of Shemitah, so we Lubavitchers are careful to do what we did it last year at Rosh Hashanah, we'll do it this year. And I think this is important for girls to do. I was in a shul this past Shabbos, it was a modern Orthodox shul, the young Israel rabbi said you have to sign for it, for it write it down. Our custom is that you just say it. After you do the Atadus, Nedarim, you say one line. If, if you look in the newest Lubavitch Sedurim, by Atadus Nedarim, you'll see after it says, in the beginning of Shemitah, you say this one line. You say to the Bezdin, I'm giving you all my debts. She'egba Aisam, so I should be able to collect them. Calls Mancha Edsa whenever I want. Um, so, I, again, you should speak to your teachers and to your rabbis. I'm your teacher and I'm your rabbi, but I'm not an expert in halacha. I don't understand why girls don't do Atadus Nedarim, but that you can explain. I really don't understand why girls and women don't do Prusba. I think it's important. I think it's important. You don't need ten men, three men is enough. So I'm putting something on your plate to worry about till Rosh Hashanah. Um, why do women not do Prusba? And maybe you should. Especially if you know for a fact that people owe you money, because halakhically you're not allowed to collect it. They can return it, but you're not allowed to ask them for it. So the Rebbe would do the principle. He would read that touch. Then he would say, Yashikayach, and he would walk out. The Rabbonim, as soon as the Rebbe finished, would jump up. You could see that they didn't want to sit. The Rebbe went back upstairs. He collected Pidyonis, which I already explained to you. And then he went to the oil. Oil was always before Mincha. And Rosh was a very hard day. And he came back, whatever time it was, the Rebbe Davin Mincha. I think the Rebbe went home for a few minutes. Then Rosh Hashanah starts. Now, number one on Rosh Hashanah. There is a tradition that goes back till the Alter Rebbe. There's a tradition that went to the Alter Rebbe. That the Chabad Rabbeim on the first night of Rosh Hashanah davened Baharichis. They davened long. Long means they would stay in Shul and pour out their kishkes. I mean, pour out their kishkes. They would daven for three, four hours, and when they were done davening, their shtendu was not, not the cloth was saturated with tears. It was a puddle. You could literally, a puddle of tears. The, the neshama would come out. The davening of Rosh Hashanah was incredibly heartfelt, very emotional, with, racked with emotion. All the rabbeim did this. But it was unusual for another reason also, that they daven in shul. The cloud, when the rabbeim daven in shul, they daven like normal people, with the minion. If the Rebbe wanted to daven with his tabchas nefesh, he didn't want people to stand and watch him. A, it disturbed him. B, he was thinking that they're wasting their time. But Leal Rosh Hashanah, the Rebbe did it in shul. Rabbi Gordon, Yisrael Gordon, Valzayin Gezunt, remembers the Friyidike Rebbe in 1941 to 42, and then 42 to 43, 40 to 41, 41 to 42, maybe 42 to 43, davening in, in shul. He remembers hearing the Rebbe saying the words, Asher B'dvarim Arevarovim. The davening went till 10 o'clock. Yom Tov comes in 7. And the rule was the chassidim would stand. People came from all over the world for that. You came to the Rebbe for Rosh Hashanah for the Maidif. That was like the biggest feature. And the rule was you were not allowed to waste your time, so they would say Tilim. Um, Rabbi Saul Gordon tells the story that once the Friedrich Rebbe walked, he had difficulty walking. They helped the Rebbe out of the room. When the finished Maidif and he left the room, one of the chassidim ran over to the standard and he scooped up the tears and he washed his face. It was enough to bunch of puddle. So someone said to him, what are you doing? He said, well, it says in Kabbalah that if you, do, do, you, you cry in Rosh Hashanah and you wash your face with the tears, you're not going to cry a whole year. So the, the Gabbai said to him, the Rebbe cries and you wash your face. 
Wash your face with your own tears, not with the devil's tears. This is a, a story that everybody knows. You got a problem. You know, you're know. you just a normal person. Don't try to cry. Try to daven. And if you don't cry, it's fine. If you're going to spend your whole daven trying to cry, even when you're crying, it's going to be an act. Be genuine. Be genuine. You get older, you cry. Not because you're more holy, you're more religious. Because you have less control over your emotions. Trust me. <laughs> if you don't cry, it's fine. Do you, just, just be genuine. Just be emis. Just be who you are. Truth. Honest. Anyway, but the Rebbe becomes Rebbe in 1952. The first Russian was 52, Tovshin Yud Beis. So all the Bachim crowded around the Rebbe, expecting one of those Maidivs. And the Rebbe died the minion. The Rebbe finished the minion. He didn't cry at all. Just the same, you know, very controlled. And it was a bit of a disappointment because this was a very important tradition. I read in a book that there was a Yid, a very special Chassid, whose name was Abishmuel Zalmanov. Abishmuel Zalmanov said that by all the Rebbes, each one of the Rebbeim, the Nesias, they began their Nesias with a more sad and a bitter tone and note. And as the Rebbeship went on, it became happier. Apparently, the previous Rebbe, the last couple of years, didn't do it anymore. This long davening with all this emotion, the last couple of years, the Fidik Rebbe stopped. He also davened with the Minyan. So Shmuel Zalmanov said that every Rebbe, when he becomes a Rebbe, he starts off where his Rebbe started. Our Rebbe started with the previous Rebbe finished. And since the Friedrich Rebbe finished with Simcha, so the Rebbe didn't do it. The Rebbe davened with the Minyan. Leil Rosh Hashanah. But the davening was longer. But cloud, the Rebbe davened very fast. The Rebbe davened faster than a lot of people. If you say every word slowly and carefully, the Rebbe was finished before you. Rosh Hashanah night, we waited for the Rebbe. I'm not going to say every year, but it could even be five minutes, which is a long time, or even ten minutes. He davened longer. It's not a long maidah. Rosh Hashanah is not a long But the Rebbe davened longer, but he davened without, there was no display. You didn't see any emotion. So the biggest feature of Rosh Hashanah here was, since it wasn't the maidah, it was the tekiahs. The Rebbe blew shayfer. All the Rebbe blew shayfer. But there's two things. One thing is called being besadded the tekiahs, to arrange the tekiahs. And the other is to actually blow. Some of the Rabbeim, for many reasons, including Pashat physical health reasons, didn't have kayach to blow shaver. So somebody else blew. <coughs> right. Um, but the Rabbeim always stood there. They officiated. Even if somebody else was blowing, the shaver, the Rebbe did all the preparations, all the holy stuff, and then another guy blew the horn. When the Rebbe became Rebbe, the Rebbe's humility was disgusting. I mean, was mommy. It's disgusting, <laughs> disgusting how humble the Rebbe was and is. How sneezing. So the Rebbe sort of asked now, who's going to blow Shaifer? Who's going to do the job? So they told the Rebbe, the Rebbe's going to blow Shaifer. And the Rebbe sort of indicated, you know what indicated means? He said without saying, and he said that it can be understood in more than one way. I don't know how. <laughs> I don't know how. The Rebbe knew how to blow. But however, the Rebbe sort of indicated that it's not my thing. So they told the Rebbe, all the Rebbeim did it, the previous Rebbe did, the Fidik Rebbe didn't blow. But he did all the other things. The Baltakeba, the Fidik Rebbe was a chassid by the name of Harab Rivke, the Rosh Hashiva of Tere He was the Balti blue. But the Fidik Rebbe stood there and did all the crying. He did all the holy stuff. So they said, okay, I'll do the holy stuff and somebody else will blow. Who's going to blow? So the Rebbe called in a young man. His name was Rabbi Tenenbaum. He may have grandchildren in this room. He was from the Polish Bacharim. He was a, a beautiful, he was beautiful, such a beautiful man. He gave me my first job, which I still have. He was, um, a, a, he was a sneeze person. He was always beautiful. 
very organized. He was a real like from a different generation. And the Rebbe asked him to blow Shaifa. He blew Shaifa all the years. And he had a stroke after the Rebbe had the stroke. They, he was supposed to blow Shaifa. He wasn't so young. He was probably 30 in 1952. So in 1992, he was only around 80. Um, he, 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 he had a stroke the same year, right before Rosh Hashanah. He was going to blow Shaifer. He was the Rebbe Zalteke. He blew Shaifer the Rebbe. And when that job was over, he was basically gone. Really interesting. The Rebbe called him and said, I'd like you to blow Shaifer. And he told him that every, the person that blows Shaifer the morning of Rosh Hashanah has to learn a particular Maimed on Tchiyat Shaifer, which is printed in the Siddur. And he would learn it every year in the morning before Shaifer. Now the plan officially was that the Rebbe is going to do the holy stuff and he's going to blow. What ended up happening was the first year uh, the Rebbe did all the holy stuff. The Rebbe made the bracha and he handed Rebbe Tanabam the shayfet. Rebbe Tanabam looked at the Rebbe like as if he doesn't know what the Rebbe wants. And like I tell the people in the other group to all the other things that the Rebbe is he also has the milus of a misnaged also. He's very, very from. And the Shalaf Meheftik, he made a bracha, so the Rebbe had no choice. So the Rebbe blew the first tchia, just one sound, and then he gave Tanabam the shayfet, and now the Rebbe had plenty of time, Rebbe Tanabam blew the rest. The second year, the Rebbe blew the first four sounds, Tashrat. I don't know how many years this went on for, three, four, five. My father's first tchias by the Rebbe was Yudalit, was the third year. My father remembers the Rebbe not blowing all the tchias. But within four or five years, maximum six years, the Rebbe blew all 30 sounds. The Rebbe took the job. The Rebbe did it himself. One year in Tafshin Yutes, 1958, again, I wasn't born yet, so obviously I don't remember, but I read this, the Rebbe couldn't blow. The, sh- the sound wouldn't come out of the shayfet. So he actually handed Rebbe Tenenbaum the shayfet and he finished blowing. Besides for that, all the years till Tafshin Obey, the Rebbe blew shayfet himself. Again, I was in the room when this happened, but I don't remember it. I don't want to lie to you. But in Tafshin Lamed Vav, 1975 to 76, it says in the Rishimis that the Tkiyah Gedoyla, the last of the 30 sounds, took the Rebbe a half an hour to get out of the Shaifa, a half an hour. And the Rebbe, I mean, I remember this, he would clean the Shaifa with his talus, clean it and shake it out, put down one Shaifa, the Rebbe had three, pick up another one. And he would, you could see that he was fighting with the Shaifa and the sound wasn't coming out. It was all spiritual. The Rebbe knew how to blow Shaifa. He blew Shaifer in his room a whole hour, he had no trouble. But when he blew Shaifer in Rosh Hashanah, you could see that the sounds didn't always come out. And that year took about half an hour. A half an hour, it's a terribly long time. To get, he did the first 29 went. But, and he didn't give it away. He fought, and he fought, and he fought, and he blew it, you know. The Rebbe did it himself. So the Rebbe ended up blowing Shaifer. But there's a whole story around the blowing of Shafer, and that's what I want to share with you. And I have made the decision to go slow. I'm not rushing. I'm going to tell you the whole story with all the details, even though it's going to take more than one class. Um, first of all, the night of Rosh Hashanah, after the Rebbe Davin if he went into his room, and his secretary or secretaries went in with him. The Rebbe sat down at his table, and he started to say Tillim. The Rebbe said Tillim. Rabbi Grona says very loud, loud, you can hear, and incredibly sweet and slow. Very zis. What do the secretaries do? The secretaries, quote, prepared the packages. The packages were brown paper bags. They were brown pieces of paper that looked like two-pound packages of matzah. You know, you get matzah from the matzah bakery. 
Sometimes it comes in a box, and sometimes it comes in a brown paper bag. Do you know what I'm talking about? That's what it looked like. It was a brown paper bag tied with white string, but they, it was done on Yom Tif, which means that they had to do it with a bow. They couldn't make a knot. And they would go into the Rebbe's room, and the Rebbe had tons of letters that would go into these pekach, into these packages. The years that I remembered, there were always three packages. I read in some journals that sometimes there was actually a fourth package. I never saw four. Sometimes the packages were very large, much like this big, and sometimes they were much smaller. The size of the packages was very important because if the packages were bigger, it was possible that if you stood directly beneath the Rebbe, that package blocked you and you didn't see anything, the whole piece. An inch in 770 determined two or three people's visibility. Everything was so precise. But the Rebbe took these packages to Tkiyas, and he put them down in front of him, and he blew shoifer over these packages. What were in these packages? So there's a machlaikis. <laughs> Rabbi Groner writes in his book that he put the pagenis. The pagenis that we talked about last time, that the Elam gave the Rebbe Erev Rosh Hashanah, the Rebbe apparently spent time, or somebody helped him, Erev Rosh Hashanah, they took the pagenis out of the envelopes, and later Rosh Hashanah, they put them in these packages. Rabbi Groner says, absolutely the pagenis. Rabbi Klein, who was also a secretary of the Rebbe, but he was younger and he came on board later, told me that that's not what went into the packages. Rabbi Klein told me that the Rebbe had in his room, I'm his nephew, he told me personally, I didn't hear it from somebody else. The Rebbe had in his room, okay, it would be nice if he was still alive, and your birthday should always be a happy day. Um, he, the Rebbe had in his room bags, many bags, big bags, Literally, like two by three, massive bags. In these bags, the Rebbe had letters and all kinds of stuff that people had given him. And it's, it's interesting to know this, and I think it's important. The Rebbe's secretaries did not move anything in the Rebbe's room. When they cleaned the Rebbe's room, they didn't move a book from here to here, because the Rebbe knew where he put it. And the Rebbe's seconds were measured. If the Rebbe came back and you were here, you had to look for it. And it was inconvenience for the Rebbe. So when you cleaned the Rebbe's room, you literally didn't touch anything. You just cleaned around. So they had these bags. They didn't, nobody helped the Rebbe do his job. Nobody helped the Rebbe do his job. They served, but they didn't help. You didn't move the bags around and you didn't consolidate. You had a pile of letters and a pile of put them together. You left it exactly where the Rebbe had it. They carried the Rebbe's words to the people and the people's words to the Rebbe. The Rebbe gave them. The Rebbe gave them. They didn't take Rebbe gave them. You went into the Rebbe, they were here. Here's a stack of letters. I wrote answers, take them out, make phone calls, and then whatever they had to do. They didn't touch the whole time whatever the Rebbe needed. But he never helped the Rebbe do his job. He cleaned, he carried things, but he served at the Rebbe's behest. He didn't help. I have a cleaning lady. Every time she cleans my bedroom, she puts all my shoes away, and I can't find my shoes. She puts my towels cotton in the closet. I can't find my towels cotton. And talk to her. She, Baruch Hashem, she speaks Mexican, not Spanish, Mexican. And there's no way she leave the slippers by the bed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there's no slippers. Anyway, but you didn't do that. You understand? But you didn't do. You didn't move anything in the Rebbe's room. So Rabbi Klein told me that Rebbe had a bag that a whole year he collected letters. Please, I need your attention, please. A whole year he collected letters. No one knows which letters he collected. I would imagine, this is just me surmising, that they're either the very happy letters or the really bitter letters. They went into this bag, and those letters went into the peklach. The Rebbe saved letters that he got from people all year, and he put them into these bags. So how could you reconcile what Rabbi Groner is saying, what Rabbi Klein is saying? My guess is that when the Rebbe first became a Rebbe, 
he put the pedianus in the packages. But as time went on, there were too many pedianus. The Rebbe's day was too short. He was dealing with far too many people. And when it became impossible, this is just a guess, uh, to put the pedianus in the peklachs, he started to do what I just told you. I, in other words, I don't think that one of them is wrong. I just think they're talking about two different periods. Anyway, so the night of Rosh Hashanah, the secretary was going on Yom Tif and prepared these packages. In the morning, the Rebbe came at 10 o'clock, and the Rebbe was always on time, punctual to the minute that it was on time. The Rebbe came into the shul holding two or sometimes three siddurim. He held the regular siddur that he davened with, which was a siddur with, with, with a mach siddur in the back. He also carried the Alter Rebbe siddur with chasidah, siddur imdach, which was just recently reprinted much more beautifully in two volumes. The reason the Rebbe carried the Alter Rebbe Siddur was because we, Chassidi Chabad, who are in that Madrege, which doesn't mean me and you, do everything like Api Kabbalah. The Rebbeim do things according to the Kabbalah. And as a rule, we followed the Kabbalah of the Arizal. We followed the Kabbalah of the Arizal. This is called Siddur HaArizal, with meditations for each mitzvah, for each prayer, for each bracha. And the Rebbeim used to read the meditations of the Arizal. There were actually four different versions of Siddur HaArizal. The Siddur of Yankovic, Siddur of Boshem, Siddur of Shapsi, and then the Siddur called Zalkava, which I think was made by a, by a, by a non-Chosid. These three were made by Talmudim of the Baal Shem Tev. Our Rabbeim used Siddur of Shapsi. He was a Talmud of the Baal Shem Tev, that the Rabbeim held that he had the Kavanas of the Baal Shem Tev correctly, and they used that Siddur. There were two exceptions. The Kavanas of Shoifer and the Kavanas of Mikveh, the Baal Shem Tev went against that Rizal. He made a different Kavana. And those kavanas are printed in the Alter Rebbe Siddur with Chassidus. So the Rebbe brought the Siddur Imdach, he brought the Alter Rebbe Siddur with Chassidus with him to Shul, because the meditations, the kavanas of Tchias were in the Siddur. Sometimes he brought also a third Siddur. If he brought a third Siddur, it was the Siddur of Shapsi. It was the Siddur, the, the Siddur that Arizal, which he was not going to use. He sometimes brought that as well. So in his right hand, the Rebbe is holding two or three Siddurim. In his left hand, he's holding a package of shmatas, of cloth. Inside that cloth, there are always three shayfiris, and the Rebbe walks into the shul, and he walks through the shul to the front. Behind the Rebbe walks Rabbi Chadakov. Rabbi Chadakov was the Rebbe's shadow, always. Rabbi Chadakov was closer to, to the Rebbe than a husband and a wife. He was mamish, always with the Rebbe. Always with the Rebbe. And he walked behind the Rebbe. He always followed the Rebbe. And the other secretaries used to normally come in before. But... Rosh Hashanah, Rabbi Klein, and Rabbi Groner would also walk behind the Rebbe, carrying those bags. So the Rebbe walked in, Chadakov was right behind the Rebbe, and Label and Minyamin, that's how we call them, Label of Rabbi Groner and Rabbi Klein, carried these packages. The Rebbe went to his place, and of course in the later years he went up on the platform. He put the shayfis inside the shtender, the stood on the top of the shtender, and near the Rebbe there was a table, a little table with a cloth, a tablecloth, and they put down those packages, and we dive in shachris. And again, what I'm about to say is GE, general, GI, general information. I just think it's important for you to hear this. Girls, 770 was quiet, front to back. If you think 770 was always noisy, I'm just telling you it's not the case. 770 Rosh Hashanah was quiet, very quiet. The last couple of years, let's say 87, starting 87, 88, it became terribly noisy, really noisy. And the noise wasn't disrespect. It wasn't. The noise was simply there were more bodies in the room than there were inches. There was not enough space. If you put too many people to a room, we're not talking about the stuff the fire department says there's maximum occupation for this room, 14 people, you know. Uh, but it was packed. But there was physically not enough room 
for people to be packed. So people were in very contorted positions. So if I straighten up, you become unstraight. So the noise came from the crowd. And the Rebbe was very unhappy. The Rebbe actually complained about it. One year, the Rebbe turned around the middle of davening at some point and said, You should say that it should be quiet, but you should make sure that people who are making noise should hear you saying that it should be quiet because it was so noisy, you wouldn't even hear the announcement. But Shachar seventy was quiet. Now, girls, there was no occasion in the year where real estate in 770 was more important and more optimum and more prime than Tkiyas. It was more than a Fabrengen, because a Fabrengen you needed to hear. It was okay if you didn't see. It was more than a Kafis, because a Kafis all you had to do was see, you didn't have to hear. But Tkiyas, there was what to see, and there was also what to hear. And the pushing was indescribable. If you were not physically fit, you were going to faint. Somebody told me that one year, they carried out 14 Bochrem. Bochrem. 14 Bochrem. Bochrem are healthy, young people. And they were watering them down outside. They were pretty the pushing by Tkiyas was the worst of the whole year. And the Vada Masada made regular, permanent places, which was very hard for the guests, but there was no choice. Because before they had permanent places, Bacham used to sleep in Shul. They wouldn't go home. They spent the whole night in Shul to get their spot. So, so the rules in 770 were you came at 8 o'clock in the morning, before 8, you showed your face to your neighbors, I'm here on time, and then the Bacham went off on Miftsayim. And the room would empty out, and the poor guests would come in and take great spots, only to be pushed back and pushed back and pushed back, and they didn't even understand why. But 770 had a system of permanent places, because otherwise it would have been it would have been fights, terrible. There were fights anyway, but it would have been much worse. So Shachris was normal. After Shachris, the Gabai made a very important announcement. This announcement is any person who knows the 770 history, you'll, you'll tell this and they'll smile. Before Kiyas HaTayra, the Gabe would get up. Now, in the earlier years, it was Yechen and Gordon. Yechen and Gordon passed away when I was four. So the Gabe that I remember was Ramesha Pinchas, Katz, Olav Shalom, who passed away in 1985. I was already 20 years old, 19 years old when he died. Actually, he was 86. Um, Ramesha Pinchas was a beautiful Jew from the Pailish Achsidim. If he has grandchildren, I have only nice things to say. He lived on my block, you know, far away from 770. Um, and he, he would make the announcement. He would get up and he would say that we're announcing that for the whole time of Kriya Sater and the whole time of the Mafti and the whole time that the Rebbe is preparing for the Tkiyas and the whole time that the Rebbe is blowing the Tkiyas and after the Tkiyas and when the Rebbe goes back to his place everybody should stand in their place. You shouldn't stand on any benches. You shouldn't stand on any milk box. Everyone should stand on the floor and you shouldn't push and let everybody else to see also. And then he would finish his speech by saying, Medavishn Kedishas Hayoim, he was a Polisha. Kedishas Hayoim and Kedishas Hamukum, the holiness of the day and the holiness of the place. And he would finish, Medavishn Vimishtait and Vavemen Mishtait. You have to know where you're standing and in front of whom you're standing, meaning you're standing in the Rebbe's presence. Behave. That was the message. One year, he added something to the message. But he didn't add it on his own, he added it because he was given direct instructions from the Rebbe to add the message. Apparently, somebody told somebody that he shouldn't come to 770 for Rosh Hashanah, there's no room. And this got back to the Rebbe that someone told another Jew, don't come to Rosh Hashanah for there's no space. So the announcement started. The Gaboyim are announcing that you should know that the doors of 770 are open and every Jew in the world is welcome. And no Jew has a right to say to a fellow Jew, there's no room for you in 770. That's how the answer started. And then he said, the whole time of Tkiyas and Mafti and Achunul Tkiyas and Tkiyas and some of Nishtayn, Nishav Kabein, Nishav Milkaster. I mean, we all know the speech by heart. 
So it became already a joke when he finished his speech. By the way, everybody's standing on benches, everyone's standing on milk boxes, and he's making his speech. Um, it became impossible. It became impossible. People were not mean. It was just not realistic. So the whole shul would sing with him at the end of his speech, like they finish an aliyah, you know? The whole, the whole, became a big joke. So one year he was really just sick and tired of being made fun of, so he didn't finish the speech. He stopped. And the Rebbe turned around, that was the end of the speech. And you have to understand, what was the end of the speech? Where you're standing and in front of whom you're standing meant the Rebbe. And the Rebbe wanted him to finish the speech. This was before Kriya Satera. Then with Kriya Satera, um, the Rebbe got mafted. But there was a difference between the first day and the second day. Why? Because the second day Rosh Hashanah, the Rebbe said Kaddish for the Rebbe's sister, who was murdered by the Nazis, I think in Bergen-Belsen. She died, and there's a, there's a basis to say she died the second day in Rosh Hashanah, and the Rebbe asked the Rebbe for her sister. You probably are aware that there were a bunch of days, about half a dozen days, besides for the three yard sites that the Rebbe kept, where the Rebbe actually was the Chazm, there were about half a days, dozen days the Rebbe said Kaddish. Amongst them was yesterday and tomorrow. Chov Gimel Elul, which was yesterday, the Rebbe said Kaddish, for his maternal grandfather, for his mother's father. Rebbe Tanchana, the Rebbe's mother lived in New York. She asked the Rebbe to say Kaddish for her parents. So her father died, Chav Gimel Elul. The Rebbe said Kaddish yesterday, Chav Gimel for Meishle Meyanoski. Tomorrow, which is Chav Hei Elul, the Rebbe said Kaddish for his brother. The Rebbe had a brother who was killed by the Nazis named Betel. They didn't know when he was murdered. So the Rebbe apparently chose the date. The Rebbe said Kaddish, Chav Hei Elul, for his brother. They have also said the after Simchas Torah. I think that's for his mother's mother, whose name was Rachel. And if I'm not mistaken, the Rebbe also said Kaddish, Yud Kislev and Yutes Kislev. And the Rebbe wasn't davening with a minion. So the Rebbe would come into Shul after Rav and he would say the last Kaddishim, Ashrei, he says, Shesha Yoim, Kaveh, Aleinu, Tila, Mishnayis. And then Mincha, the Rebbe would come into Mincha, he would say Rabbi Shmolaim, and to say all the Kaddishim that Oval normally would say for a person, the Kaddish Yosem, they would say for a deceased person. The second day Rosh Hashanah, the Rebbe said Kaddish for his sister-in-law. So what would be the difference? The first day, Maftir would be finished, they would say Kaddish, and then the Balkaida, the Gabi would announce, Ya'amoid, Adineinu, Meireinu, V'Rabbeinu, B'Narav, Rabbeinu, Yitzchak, Maftir. They called the Rebbe. And they didn't say the Rebbe's name. They called him Adineinu, Meireinu, V'Rabbeinu, B'Narav, Rabbeinu, Yitzchak. The only time they said the Rebbe's name was Simchas Teira, which I don't know if I'm going to have time to do with you, but it's part of Tishrei by the Rebbe. But Rosh Hashanah, they would not say the Rebbe's name. The Rebbe would take the Sedurim in his right hand, the Shafis in his left hand, and he would walk. The Chadukov went behind the Rebbe, and behind Chadukov, I think Chadukov went behind the Chadukov was Rabbi Gron and Rabbi Klein carrying the packages. 770 was packed. Somehow a space would open, the Rebbe would pass, and it would slam shut like, like a trap door. When the Rebbe was walking on the side of the Bimeh, it was so packed, that the Bachim would have to climb onto the, hold on to the side, there was no place for the Rebbe to pass. And the Rebbe would pass, and then everybody would come down, and the secretaries behind the Rebbe had to make sure they didn't get caught in the avalanche. They went up onto the stage where the Rebbe would get the Aliyah, the packages were put on, on top of the Sefer Teda, the Rebbe put the Sedurim down on the side, he put the Shevaz down on the side, he got his Aliyah, and he said the Maftir. The second day Rosh Hashanah was the same thing with one small change. As soon as Shvi was over, the Rebbe took the Sedurim and the Shevaz and went, and they followed him. They went up on the bim and the Rebbe said, Kaddish. And as he was standing there, the Gabe would say, Ya made the name of the Rebbe, the Rebbe got his Aliyah. 
after the Aliyah, the Rebbe said the Haftaira. And after the Haftaira would start what we call Hachonah the preparations for Tkiyas, which I'm going to do next time, which is Thursday. They would turn around, and the two people who had purchased, who had did Hagbeh would come forward. The big Sefer Tater stood on the Rebbe's right, that means the Kingston side. The small Sefer Tater stood on the Rebbe's left, which is the Eastern Parkway side. And these men who got Hagbeh got to stand next to the Rebbe by Tkiyas. People paid tens of thousands of dollars for, for Hagba Galil in 770. In most shuls, Hagba Galil is, is, the, is, the, is the covet for the poor people. You can't afford an aliyah. You have 770, most expensive covet was Hagba Galil, because if you paid for Hagba Galil, you stood right next to the Rabbi Tkiyas. And the rich people in Mabavich could afford it. There wasn't, wasn't many people voting, bidding. So the big Sevetator belonged to the Deitches every year, except for the last few, the Don Yoyalivi got it. The small Sevetator always belonged to the Gararis. And I want to just say this to you. David Deitch spent tens of thousands of dollars on Hagba by the Rebbe. Never took it. Never took it. He gave it to his sons and sons-in-law. Because David Deitch was clean-shaven. And David Deitch said, a man without a beard is not going to stand next to the Rebbe. A friend of mine told me that he said to his father, who was from the same generation, he said, Daddy, how come you don't have a beard? And his father said to him, Yossi, instead of asking me, why I don't have a beard, ask me why I put on tefillin. You need to understand that generation. They never went to yeshiva. Never. Their life was pure Gehenim. They went through Hitler and Stalin as adults. Not as kids, as teenagers. He was a beautiful... David Deitch without his beard was a bigger chazan than most people with a beard. But this sensitivity to pay for it, he paid $36,000. You could buy a house for $36,000 then. And he never took it, not once. His children all had beards. His sons-in-law all had beards. They would take it in his place. Um, and then the Rebbe would do the preparations. We will do this in Mitzvah Hashem next time.